Hello, and welcome to Enter the Fold, a Shadow and Bone podcast. I'm Caitlin, your host who has read the books. And I am Andy Kay, your host who still has not read the books. This week, we are talking about episode six, The Heart is an Arrow, written by Shelley Meals and directed by Marzi Almas. And before we go any further, uh, Caitlin doesn't like the title of this episode. It's, what is it doing here? It doesn't the belong here. The Heart is an Arrow? If, if asking you... What do you think that refers to in this episode? Um, honestly, I didn't give it any thought at all. Um, but there was a lot of Nina using her heartrending powers in this episode, so I'm going to assume it has something to do with that. <sighs> yeah. You you would be very right in thinking that it was something to do with that. It's not, and I hate that <sighs> So I'm assuming then that this is a line from somewhere in the book at some point. It is a line from my favorite chapter of Six of Crows. It's an Inej oh. point of view chapter. And it is very, very important to Inej's journey, self, self-actualization self journey that she goes on in Six of Crows. And the fact that they have taken it from her. This is like the most, like, I've read the books, gatekeepy bullshit I've gone on yet. So it really doesn't <laughs> matter. <laughs> but it makes me so angry. It doesn't belong to anybody other than Inej. And I fucking hate that it's here. Okay. You you feel very strongly about this. I do. Okay. Well, just because they used it as a title here doesn't mean that it can't still be part of her story later. <sighs> sure. I. It's not even that. I'm not upset that they might... I'm upset. It's just, it belongs to an edge. It shouldn't be here. And also, it's not, when an edge says it, it isn't about romance or anything like that. It's about her own personal ambitions and what she wants out of life and how not knowing has really messed her up. Okay. Okay. So to you, it's just wholly out of place and has nothing to do with the story that we're being told now. Yes. Okay. That's fair. Okay. Anyways, rant over, I suppose. <laughs> More coming, probably. Um, right, so last week I mentioned that we got a good email from Annabeth, and I do want to go through it here. Uh, it's going to be a little stilted because I forgot to edit it, and I'm trying to avoid spoilers here. So let okay. me see. Okay, she says some nice things, and then she has one quibble, though, about our criticism in episode three of Zoya's use of a racial slur for Alina. Um, she thinks that... I'm trying to read this in a way that... We, I guess we said that it kind of came out of nowhere and was unnecessary, and she thinks that it really enhances the psychological depth of Zoe's characterization, since she is, even more explicitly on the show, a mixed-race uh, person, or a mixed-race woman of color like Alina. And part of what makes Zoe fascinating as a character is how she externalizes her traumas and what she's been taught to hate about herself. And that is very interesting. So... We talked about this a little bit last week, too, because I had pointed out something that I thought Zoya had said that was racist. And you were like, no, because she is Suli. And yeah. I, OK, so I just took that as you know this because you know this about the character. I don't recall being explicitly told this about her in the show. I well, the thing is in the show that she is visibly not white. OK. For like in the book, it is never in in Shadow and Bone. It is never uh, hinted at at all that she could be some other other than Ravkin. That okay. that her her heritage comes later. Okay, I mean, I I completely understand what both of you guys are saying. I'm I just don't think I would have picked up on that. Right, I get you. That's all. And then. And then she has some other things to say here that is difficult to get into because of spoilers. But I'm so sorry I'm making your life difficult. No, no, no. It's not difficult. <laughs> I, it, like, it's not making my life difficult. It's just it, they're good points that I'd like to share, but it's hard to talk around some stuff. But basically in this episode, we do see that Zoya, it implies that Zoya and the Darkling have a sexual relationship. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I think it's fine. I think it actually kind of works for Zoya's character. I don't think they ever did in the book, but I think if it had been an option, Zoya would have. I I believe what I'm gathering from this email because of other things, and Beth disagrees with that and doesn't think that it fits at all with how Zoya is in, in the later books. Mm, okay. So, 
it's interesting at any rate. So far, based on what I know about Zoya, which is just the show, mm-hmm. it fits. Um, I mean, whether they called it out or not doesn't matter. Like, I don't think it's important to her character, but it didn't seem out of character since my introduction to her was her wanting to take a tumble with Mal. Right. Right. So I've always interpreted her character as being very free-spirited and very confident in herself and her sexuality. Yeah. Like, not in a bad way. Like, I'm not saying, like, I don't think the show is trying to turn Zoya into a a, a quote-unquote slut. Or right. anything like that. Like, I haven't gotten that sense from the show. Like, I don't think they're shaming her for it. I don't think that they're saying it's a bad thing that she is so comfortable with her sexuality. Right. I think it has just come across as one of her characteristics that she is a strong, incredible woman who is comfortable in who she is and how that works with the men around her. Right. Um, and I don't, again, I don't know how that correlates at all to the Zoya of the books. Right, of course. The thing in the books is that much later on, it's, you find out things, hmm. I think what Annabeth is saying, and I do agree with this, is that she doubts that Zoya would put herself in a sexual relationship with a man who has more power than her. Mm. Okay. Interesting. But from what we know of Zoya in Shadow and Bone, where... I think she would have with the Darkling. Like, I think she would have. Oh, General Kerrigan, whatever you want to call him. Right. I feel like the Zoya that we've been introduced to so far would put herself in positions to gain more power. And being with Kerrigan is one way to do that. I do think, like, I think it's kind of shitty to have her sleeping with him or having had slept with him in the past because she's kind of... Well, it's just going to mess her up more later on, but spoilers. Okay. And then briefly, I want to say, nobody emailed us about this, which is interesting, uh, but uh, a friend of mine who listens to the show who chooses to remain anonymous did did text me how they feel about Mal, and so I'm just going to read this text. I don't know if I'm killing our friendship, but whatever. Uh, I really like Mal in Shadow and Bone, although I can understand how people find him boring. To me, it's very romantic when one person is a mess and doesn't know themselves, and the other person is super dependable, always catches them. And sometimes she catches him, but it's mostly him being there no matter what. So that's my exact favorite dynamic. So I like that he has no interior life beyond getting shot and stabbed to be with her. (laughs) I love that. Yeah. I love that. (laughs) I thought that that was really good. And honestly, in this episode, I actually do kind of like Mal because he's always with Alina. Yeah, no, this episode, actually, I was thinking about this while I was rewatching it this morning. This episode really, like, they nailed the relationship between Mal and Alina, and they didn't fuck it up by having them kiss. Like, yeah. there are so many shows that would have had in, in multiple places in this episode, but in particularly, there was one scene where, like, my note is all caps. I am so glad they didn't kiss here. But anywhere else they would have and it would have fucked it up but that's not the point of their relationship like yes they are leaning towards some of the romantic like hurdles that and and tropes that you have with a love triangle and and all of that stuff but like that's not what this is about Mal loves her yes he loves her romantically which we get from the I'm so sorry it took me this long to see you but it's it's not just romantic. It's like he's seeing her as a full, whole person mm-hmm. for the first time, right? She's not burdened by being an orphan from Karamzin who is half shoe. He is finally seeing Alina for Alina. And it's beautiful and it doesn't have to be romantic and they didn't make it romantic. And I love that. Like that is the thing about this episode that I like the most. That's so interesting that you say that because when so that's a line from the book like straight up and but in the book when you know when you see them together at the beginning like he's a fuck boy you know he's he's friends with Alina but that's it and he sleeps with Zoya and all these other things so when he says Mm -hmm. I see you now and I'm sorry I didn't before it is like it's like an apology almost it's like yeah I was I don't know what I was thinking so it is kind of different and when Mm -hmm. I see it in the show I'm like it just doesn't ring as true for me since he was always with her, basically. He was always, she was always his number right. one in the show. 
But she was his little friend from Karamzin. Okay. The, right? I, she, I, she was one of the boys. Yes. I like hearing your point of view on that because I didn't feel like it landed as well. And you're okay. saying that it did. Yeah. So and it's, it's just the difference, I think, from having read the book versus not. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it super worked for me here. That's, that's cool. That's, I'm glad. <laughs> All right. All right. After, oh, wait. Also, I wanted to do a Mandy check-in. Um, I actually meant to do this last episode because we were halfway through. But I think it works better here because we do get to know a bunch of the characters a little bit better here. Mm-hmm. How do you like, are you liking these characters? Who do you like? Who's your favorite? What romances are you into? And as I put um, in the notes here, there are correct answers. I mean, my favorite romance that's not quite a romance yet, but it's getting real close is Nina and Matthias. I'm sorry. Like, they are the highlight of this episode for me. Like, this is the Nina and Matthias show, and I could have really done without anything else. Like, if I had just had more of that, mm-hmm. it would have been amazing. Interesting. Okay. And do you have a favorite character, romance aside? Um, that's really hard. Honestly, I think... Romance and Milo aside. Right. Like, my, my first instinct was Milo. And I'm like, but Milo wasn't even in this episode. Can I talk about Milo? <laughs> <laughs> we can always talk about Milo. I mean, I think it's... Oh, it's hard. And it varies episode to episode because they're all so good. Right. Um, This episode is so fresh in my mind that I think I have to say it's going to be Nina. Okay. But Alina is a close second, but she just wasn't very active in this episode. Yeah, that's fair. Like, like in the past, previous episodes, you know, I've talked about how I love that she's retained her snarkiness and, and you know, she, she hasn't just rolled over and she's, she's kept her sense of self and she's grown in that sense of self, which I love about Alina. Mm-hmm. But we didn't see as much of that in this episode because she was just being rescued by Mal. Yeah, to be fair, she just had a big shakeup, so. Also valid. Like, I'm not complaining about it. I'm just saying coming off the heels of this episode, it's harder for me to say she is my favorite character. Gotcha. Um, especially since I loved Nina so much in this episode. Yeah, Nina, it's interesting because I think it's her her personality to, like, take over a situation. Mm-hmm. But also as a character, whenever she's there, she just, like, is she outshines everyone. And I think it's yeah. funny that that kind of works on like a meta level. Okay. I love Nina too. So. All right. Well, so what, what were the correct answers? Um, you didn't really say anything wrong, let's say. Okay. All right. I mean, I love all of them. I love Jesper. I love Inej. I love Kat. You know this. Like we, I yeah. gush about them every episode. I just wanted to check in, make sure, um, see where you were. Now, I will say a couple episodes ago, I would have said Kerrigan was one of my favorite characters, and now I can't say that anymore. But I got to say, Ben Barnes, like his oh, yeah. acting is just superb. I swear, anytime I'm scrolling through like TikTok or Twitter or Instagram, anything, something comes up where somebody is like, yeah, the Darkling's evil, but would I fuck him? Yes. Yeah. Duh. <laughs> and Dude. I... <laughs> My, I think one of my favorite lines from this episode, and it's so stupid and such a throwaway line. It's it's a Kerrigan line towards the end mm-hmm. um, when he's questioning the guy um, about Alina and Mal, and he's like, two Karams and orphans reunited, adorable." I think that's and, like, the last line of the episode. Actually, <laughs> the look on his face and like the tone of what, like, it's just it's it's awesome. Yeah. And then something about my own feelings that I wanted to address is I just want to make clear, because I hate on Mal a lot, I am not a Darkling supporter. I truly believe that he is evil. I think he's a very interesting character and, like, he's interesting to talk about. But I'm not – I do not fall in on the side of the majority of the fandom, I would say, that thinks that he's a good person. I have a question for you. Okay. And and you may have to either outright lie to me or just tell me you you can't talk about this at this point. Okay. But books like this generally don't do very well if there's not a specific romance angle. And it seems clear that Mal is not that in the book mm-hmm. because Mal is not as large a character in the book as he is in the show. So is the romance angle between Alina and Kerrigan Look, in the book? 
I can tell you things, but you're, you're literally asking me to spoil things for you. Okay, I don't want things to be spoiled, but this is something I genuinely haven't thought about until just now. Like, wait a minute. Right. These okay. books have romances, but like that's where my brain is <laughs> okay, going right okay. now. I don't want to be spoiled, though, so. I, I will give you something. Um, somewhere on the, the world of social media, I found a post by someone who summed up the entire series as an orphan is given godlike powers and then really messes up a game of fuck, marry, kill. <laughs> Which would imply... Because in a game of fuck, marry, kill, there's three options. There's three options. So there's somebody we haven't even met yet. Interesting. Oh, okay. So many things. Yeah. All right. We are 20 minutes into this episode and we haven't (laughs) haven't even even started started. talking about this episode yet. Yeah. (laughs) So So let's get into it. Arkin interrogation. Yeah. He's an interesting character. I actually really admire his lying here. Like, if... I feel like if Ivan wasn't there being the human lie detector, it would have been yeah. believable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just just enough of the truth in there. But it's so interesting that Ivan, his powers are so specific that he can tell that some of it is true and some of it isn't. That's just, it's an interesting detail. Yeah, I don't know if I quite believe that or if they just wanted to make a good scene because it does seem yeah. like... He knows what sentences are lies, not just that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I like the scene because we get to see a side of Kerrigan we haven't seen before. And I'm I'm not even talking about, you know, the, the bits where he kills him at the end. But, like, the way that he thinks and how he figures out kind of exactly what happened mm-hmm. with Arkin being the conductor and how he was supposed to come through with Nina and what the three thieves were there for. Like, he puts the story together based on bits and pieces of information that he has. Yeah. And it just shows you that he really isn't just a pretty face. He is a general for a reason. Yes. One thing, so when we first met Nina, you asked me, like, why is she working with Arkin when somebody else said that she was loyal I forget what the question was, but this is the answer. She was a spy. Right, right. So it's yeah. nice to have that confirmation, I guess, that, you know, bring that all together to make sense. Yeah. And then I love the Darkling being pissed. Kerrigan, whatever you want to call him. Sorry, I, I'm never going to get used to that. That's fine. And then at the end, like, so you said he kills him. How? how what? He just, like, the dark engulfed him? So the... um. The subtitle said that Arkin choked, and so I assumed he like choked suffocated him. him. Darkness, darkness. Yeah, I mean, if he can physically manipulate darkness enough to cut someone, I would think that he could use it to suffocate someone. But the cut is a different thing. Any summoner with enough power can do that. Though that's not just a darkness thing. That's not a darkness thing. Oh, I thought that was a darkness thing. No, any any summoner who is powerful enough can gather their power together to do that. Well, the show has been unclear about that. That's fair. I've only seen Kerrigan do it, and both times he's done it, he has first summoned darkness, and then the the aspects that become the thing that cuts are black. Yeah. So I was like, well, it's the darkness that's doing that. In and the- I guess it probably is if, if his power is summoning darkness and it takes that much power. Yeah. Which, you know, leads me to believe that if I had seen an Inferni do it, then the the cut blades whatever they are, would then be made out of fire. But we've only seen Kerrigan do it, so I thought it was a specific darkness thing. I think we only ever see one other person in the books do it, but I could be wrong. And honestly, I don't know how they're going to make that look in the show. That'll be interesting <laughs> if they get there. Um, but yeah, the the close captioning said that Arkin was choking. That's and interesting. And so I just assumed it was like suffocating, overwhelming him. Because that also showed, like, the last little bit before he completely faded into darkness, there were tendrils of darkness, like, going up his nose and stuff. Oh. See, that's terrifying, but I think it would have been even meaner if he'd just, like, summoned the darkness and left him there forever. Like, have fun starving <laughs> to death in the dark. Oh, that's so horrible. That's what I thought he'd done. Oh, okay. But choking. Either just, way, it's yeah. terrible. Yeah. 
So then we're with Alina in the trunk, and I love her little trick here with the light and the magnifying glass, because it really shows that she's learned more than just how to put on a show, that mm-hmm. she's, you know, learned how to do useful things that can help. Yeah. Um, I like, you know, the, the crows are waiting for her, like they're standing right outside the trunk, because they know that as soon as they stop, she's going to try to get out. And they try to get her to stay, and she says, I'm not being anyone's captive ever again. Alina talking with the crows. It's so... I like it. So this doesn't happen in the book, right? This is all new. No, they've never met in the books. Yeah, so... It's it's interesting, and I love when she runs off and A, Inej lets her, and B, like, Inej gives her this this little smile. Mm -hmm. I love Inej so much. I like that Inej lets her go. Yeah. So it's a a nice moment. It's good. Um, then we cut back to Kerrigan. Fedor is there. He has a lead on Nina. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and somehow he knows that she was abducted by Druskella. She was put on a ship and the ship was hit by a storm. Like, he just happens to know everything that specifically happened. Um, but we also learn that the ship had on board Matthias Helvar. Yes, Matthias Helvar. Who is a witch hunter. A Druskella. I like um, that he points out that it's just Matthias that was the, the Druskala because the that means that the character that I thought might have been Jarl Broom earlier was definitely not. And I'm like, great. He doesn't look anything like Jarl Broom. Wonderful. Okay. So hang on. Druskala means witch hunter? Yes. The Druskala are the elite <laughs> Grisha hunting part. Well, I knew that Druskala was like the elite army. Mm. But I didn't recognize that every, like, I thought, particularly the way that they said it here, that the Druskella was the entire unit and they had a special person who was a specific witch hunter. Mm, okay. You're saying all Druskella are witch hunters. Yes. There's, okay, well, then this doesn't make any sense for them to call Matthias out by name. It, it is very strange. Uh, so Fierda has its regular army, and then the Druskella are their specially trained Grisha hunting we put people in cages and then kill them people. Right. Okay. Like, I understand why they did it, because they wanted it to hit home later in the episode when he introduced himself to Nina. hmm But that, it doesn't make any sense then, <laughs> other than for that moment of, recogni- of name recognition. I guess it shows that even these powerful Grisha that were, because that, we, we don't know the, the everyday lay students, you know, at the, at the little palace. We only know the important ones. That even they are scared. I don't know if scared yeah. is the word. But even they are, they don't want to be around the Druskella. You know, they respect. Respect isn't the word either. Somewhere in between there of the Druskella. Yeah. Um, so Kerrigan sends Fedor to find her, um, but doesn't let Ivan go because he needs Ivan for something else. Yeah. Lovers separated. <laughs> yeah, Fedor's heartbroken. He's like, What? Um, and then we find out Nina is alive. The ship has broken apart, so she's floating in the sea. Yes. And Matthias is also alive. And then we get one of the best, best lines ever. She has so many good lines in this episode. <laughs> yes. But she's like yeah. smacking him, and she goes, come on, you miserable lump of muscle. Wake up. <laughs> I love it. I, just, a, I love it. A lot of their interactions in this episode are straight from the book. So it's really good. Oh, are they? It's yep. fantastic. It's fantastic. She's so, like, she's not afraid of him, and she's just so snarky. Yeah. And it's, it's wonderful. And, um, so, you know, she uses her Grisha power. She wakes him up by warming him up and accelerating his heartbeat. And he flat out asks her, why would you save me? And she says, because you're human, and despite what you've been taught, Grisha are not monsters. And I love it. I mm-hmm. love that she she keeps her humanity despite the situation that she's been put, put in. Like, yes. they are actively dehumanizing her, and she is actively keeping her humanity in that situation. Mm-hmm. And it just speaks volumes about the kind of person that Nina is, and I love it. This is... Uh, illustrates one of my big problems with the book. So I love Nina. She's wonderful. And she's she's wonderful. I love her so much. I don't care that much about Matthias. <laughs> I just... Okay. I know I'm probably uh, upsetting people by saying that because, you know, everybody loves Nina and Matthias. And I enjoy their scenes together 
because I love Nina. Mm. Not okay. So then, I am not personally interested in the redemption of Nazis, and that's basically that's and a fair point. I can understand that Matthias was, you know, lied to most of it. You know, he was raised in that society and believed what they told him to believe. But I mean, putting people in cages is wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I have more questions now, but you're not going to answer them because they're spoilers. I mean, you can ask. So Nina and Matthias are in Six of Crows, not Shadow and Bone, right? Yes. So how does this line up with the events in the book if... I can explain. So I can explain just... So Six of Crows is set up where you get... There's five different point of view chapters. Okay. And that it sort of cycles through. The the five of the Six Crows that we meet in this show, they all get point of view chapters in Six of Crows. Okay. And in almost every chapter, you get a bit of what's happening currently and you get flashback. And this is all in their flashback. Uh, okay. Okay. That makes perfect sense. Great. Okay. Okay. So Nina is a crow. Yes. Well, yeah. Except, <laughs> no. Yes. Sorry. That one, I I stumbled over that one because the gang is called something different in the book. Okay. okay. So I was like, I mean, yes, yeah, she's part of the group, but they're not crows in the book. So then I was, I don't know. That's why I stumbled. Yes. But the, the okay. answer is yes. She's one of the six... The Six of Crows. Okay, 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 that makes sense. All right. All right, then we cut back to Alina. She's in, is it Ryavost? Ryavost. Ryavost, however you, sure. However you say these. I wrote um, Alina alone with Rafka's racism. Perfect. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yep. Um, the crows are looking for her, so she hides. That's it. Just a quick scene. Quick, I quick will scene. say, I don't think if I were, like, on the run and hungry – I just don't feel like I would be drawn or craving dragon fruit. Right? Like, out of all of the things that were on display there, that one is not the easiest thing to eat. It's also just not the most, like, satisfying or filling. Right? I don't know. Yeah, but then she, you know, she has that that scene later on with Mal about the berries, and she, like, really loves those, so maybe maybe, fruit's just her thing. Maybe fruit is just her thing. It just seemed like a... An odd one. Maybe they just liked the way it looked on camera. I don't know. But I was like, yeah. I don't know, give me a loaf of bread any day over a dragon fruit. Right? And then we get the scene uh, with Kerrigan and Zoya. When Kerrigan is sitting at his desk, there's like just blatantly an electric bulb in the lamp beside him. And I love it. I know. <laughs> They're just like, eh, fuck it. Right? Yeah. Um, this scene is interesting because Zoya actually speaks aloud to Kerrigan kind of what she's thinking here. She wonders, what if Alina wasn't abductive? What if she was rescued or she ran away on purpose? Mm -hmm. And Kerrigan pushes back. You know, he is, he can't even entertain that as a possibility in this moment, right? And he, he hearkens back to the Kerrigan that we have known for the previous five episodes, right? He's like, no, I know exactly how she feels about being an outsider and being treated differently because Zoya's, you know, trying to say Alina was never at home here, so maybe she just left. And, you know, we see a little bit of that manipulation returning, like, and how he can easily turn it on and off. Because he's manipulating Zoya. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. For a second, there, um, I thought you you were saying that you bought it, and I was no, no, like, no, no, no. "Mandy, we've been here before." Yeah, no, no, no. I don't buy it anymore. But okay. watching him turn it on to to talk to Zoya about it was gotcha. interesting after the last episode, and and so she does her thing here. She flirts with him, um, tries to bed him. He pushes her away. I think it's interesting though. You just like turned into Matthias there, like um. <laughs> Um, the, the interesting thing about this, though, is I don't think he's mean about his rejection when he pushes her away. Like, he's not mean about it. He's not like, I don't need you, or Alina's so much better than you. He's just like, Okay, no, no he does actually that- say that, though. <laughs> he, he says, d- I'll relax when I find Alina. No, he says, um, when he's talking about how alone she's felt, he has that line where he says, they knew, and, and well, he's... In his manipulating 
you know, saying his own experiences. He says, they knew I was more important than any of them. Blatantly implying that Alina is way more important than Zoya. Okay, that's fair. But, I mean, she's the sun summoner, so she is. Right, but I think Zoya doesn't want this man that she apparently used to sleep with to say that some, who I'm sure she looks on as a little girl, is more important than her. Yeah, that's fair. I also think it's interesting that we have yet another example of Zoya being unable to contain her emotion. And she releases her power in a fit of rage in fucking Kerrigan's bedroom. Yeah. That's very like there's yeah. there's there's no consequence to it. I just think it's interesting that this is not the first time we've seen her lose control over emotion. Mm-hmm. And it just leads me to believe to question what else is going to happen just because she lacks control. That is a very interesting insight into Zoya's character. That's all I got. I can't say anything more. So okay, I think then we're back to Nina and Matthias briefly. Yep. Yep. My my comment here is I swear I love her. Yes. That's all. She's Because great. she speaks feared and, and, and six languages total and she tells him it's my job. She's a spy. Yep. She's a good one. God, I love Nina. Sorry. Right? She's fabulous. Um, then we're back to Alina and she attacks an asshole soldier with some light to the face, which I enjoy. Mm-hmm. Like another showcasing of her, you know, using her powers uh, correctly, and then runs off to the woods to be rescued by Mal. (laughs) Okay, before we get to Mal, I have a question. Mm -hmm. What was up with that door that she broke down? It was, like, not a door that led anywhere. It was just there's an alley. On this side of the door, you open the door, and then there's another alley. (laughs) Like, what? She was outside on both sides of the door. I have no memory of this door. Okay. She broke it down to get through it. Like, she... I don't know. It's just, it's weird. Um, And then my notes say she hides in the woods and surprise, Mal finds her because he's an expert tracker, of course. He is an expert tracker. You say that as though the show hasn't been implying that maybe his tracking is a little supernatural. I know. I know. He hears a noise when she uses her power. Oh, yeah. He does. (laughs) I forgot about that. Yeah. I thought that was just their connection, not some. Nope. You're right, though. Um, But. He just magically has found her in her moment of need. Yeah, that's almost exactly how it happened in the book, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she was just, like, hiding in the woods from soldiers. And it was like, oh, shit. Hello. So here's my question. Are they soldiers? Like, I thought they were because the dude is wearing the hat that's got the symbol on it. But then in the, the later, in that last scene when Kerrigan is questioning that dude, right. that dude's like, the, the army was here asking about her. And I'm like, wait, aren't you part of the army? That's a good point, actually. Uh, in the book, when she's being like chased into the woods, it's it's Second Army, so I just assumed. But now that you pointed that out, that is odd. Maybe it was just m- municipal police types. Mm. Mm. Okay. Not that big a deal. And then we get another wonderful scene between Matthias and Nina, and they have to get naked. I do enjoy the role reversal on this trope. How it's the girl who's just like, yes, take your clothes off right now. And the guy who's like, mm, I don't know about this. I promise not to ravish you. Yeah. <laughs> and also just another really good example of how they do not sexualize the women in this show, even when there is a very good opportunity of a naked woman on a bed. Right. Yep. Yeah, they they sexualize Matthias a little bit, though, right? <laughs> yes, the way that she he's taking off his clothes and, and he makes her look away. And she's like, there's really nothing all that unique about feared and men. And and then she kind of, like, turns and looks at him as, like, when his shirt is off and she gets this look on her face, like, oh, my God, he looks so good. It's so funny. I love it. It's pretty good. Um, I also love, you know, he, ha- like, this is the first of many moments where he tells her, I hate the way that you talk. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's because it's clear he's not used to women being so open mm-hmm. about things. Um, but she isn't going to back down. Like she is who she is and that's who she is going to be. And it just makes me love her so much because I wish I had that kind of confidence. Yeah. And in myself, I think that's what it is, is I see in her the kind of person I wish I was. This is also why I wish they had cast her as an actual plus size woman. I mean, she is Hollywood plus size. Yes. But... But it would have been um, so so much better. 
Yeah. Not that, yeah. I mean, the actress Danielle, I forget her last name, but she's really great. And she delivers all these Nina, like classic Nina lines wonderfully, perfectly. I love her. So this is nothing against her at all. It's just, it's just a, a wish for a reality that doesn't exist. Yeah. Um, we end this scene with another one of my favorite lines. Because um, mm-hmm. the whole point of this scene is that they're freezing to death and they're in wet clothes. And so they need to get naked and use their body heat and her heart-rending power to stay warm, right? Right. And so they finally do. They come together. They're laying in bed together. And she speaks to him in Fjordan mm-hmm. and says, you're welcome, you big idiot. <laughs> love it. Yeah. See, this is the thing. I don't care about Matthias that much, but I love their their relationship. I don't know. Like, I love the way that he reacts to her. Like, yeah. if Nina were not here and we were just seeing a day in the life of Matthias, I wouldn't care about him either. Yeah. It's, but I love watching her push his buttons. Yeah. Um, and then I think we're back to Alina and Mel. And this is actually the scene where I start to kind of like Mel. Because, A, they get their miscommunication with the letters and everything. They They yell at each other for a minute and then they get it out of the way. Right. And then they're like, right, you didn't get my letters. I didn't get your letters. They were playing us. Good, great. (laughs) We're good. Mm -hmm. And I do love when he asks her if uh, she knew she was Grisha because she cheated on the test and and stuff. And she's like, no, they would have taken me away. And he's like, to a palace, Alina. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And then, but she says, you know, but I didn't want to be separated. And he has a cute little grin. And I like that. This is a good scene between them. Yeah, when he finally realized this is a, that's why she cheated on that test was so that she wouldn't be split up from him. That was a nice moment, the look on his face. There's another tiny moment in this scene that mm-hmm. I really like. They don't do anything with it. it. It's not pointed out. They don't ever mention it. But when this scene starts, she's looking at her hand where her scar used to be and, like, rubbing it. Oh, I didn't even notice. That's good. And... It is. It's such a good detail because, like, they're not even talking yet. And she even calls that out. She's like, oh, now we're going to talk? Yeah. Right? And so she's, like, there's all these thoughts going on in her head about how, you know, she was finally ready to give up that part of her life. And mm-hmm. now this part of her life is here. And it, I don't know if it was intended to show regret or just to remind us, like, what Alina has gone through and what Alina has believed up until now. But I thought it was a really nice detail. I, I've watched this episode like three times and I've never noticed. So that's it's it's a small thing. Yeah. No, that's good. That is very so, good. And and we do get the you know, she she does thank him for finding her and he says, Always, I'll always find you. And um that's really nice. But this is also the scene that this is important where Alina finds out that Kerrigan is actively hunting for the stag. Right, yes. which is which is an important you know story beat for Alina to realize that it would be a really bad thing for Kiergan to find this stag. Yes, um, so just wanted to point it, that out so we don't forget. Yeah, that didn't even like it didn't strike me as this being where she learns that because in the book she always knew that. Oh. So it's it's I like when you point these things out and being like, oh yes, that makes sense. I see where you're coming from there. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. In this the, is, I mean, so at this point, she she has accepted, I think, that Kerrigan is evil. Mm-hmm. But she actively says out loud, Bagra was telling the truth, right? So she is still having to come to terms with it. Yeah. And she keeps getting small pieces of information that confirm what she knows. And I like it. Yes. And then we're with the crows in a bar, as per usual. <laughs> yeah, Kaz is mad. I mean, rightfully so. I love this scene between the two of them. It's so Kaz how he's angry and he does a little trick and blah, blah, blah. And then he accidentally lets drop the fact that he put the crow club up his collateral and then he just runs. Right. (laughs) Kaz doesn't strike me as the the type who sticks around for tough conversations. He just drops his bomb and then leaves. Yeah. No, there's a very similar scene in Six of Crows where he accidentally reveals something to an edge and then he just walks away he's just like oh shit nope and he's gone yeah it's really good and i love the scene between the two of them yeah yeah i like um so this scene also points out again that kaz still thinks that 
Alina's a fake, and Inej wholeheartedly believes that she is a living saint. Yes. Um, and so, like, so so much so that Inej has reframed the job in her mind, mm-hmm. right? The job is to bring Alina Starkov, who is, quote, unquote, the sun summoner, to whoever the man's name is. Yeah. I don't even remember the yeah, name anymore. And she has reframed it in her mind. The job was to pick up a fake for an easy million Kruger. Yeah. And I think that's so interesting. I think it's interesting to get these two points of views because we see Alina, who obviously is just a person. Mm-hmm. She just happens to have these powers. And then we get all this stuff from Inej also, who's like, no, she is a saint. And it's interesting to get those two points of views at the same time because we don't ever get that at the book, in the book, right? We get mm. we get Inej's point of view long after the uh, right. long after uh, Alina's point of view in the Shadow and Bone trilogy. Yeah. I love the the back and forth between those two points of views there because it almost makes the audience think that maybe she is like a saint. Like that's how everybody sees her. And the yeah. power is new and different. And then you go to her and she's like, I don't know what I'm doing. We're lost in the woods. Yay. Yep. She's like, I can keep us warm with my little shiny ball of light. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. It is it's it's nice storytelling. Mm-hmm. Um, then we have that scene between Alina and Mal that I love so much um, because in the hands of a lesser writer, this would have been a romantic scene. Right. They would have kissed here. Um, this is where Mal actually sees her power firsthand, right? It's not just he's seeing a beam of light in a tent. Like he's actually seeing her use her power. And this is where he says, I'm sorry that it took me this long to see you, Alina, but I see you now. And they just stare at each other, and they smile, and they're just there in the moment. And they don't kiss. I've never been so happy that people didn't kiss. I I wrote down, Mal has been shot and stabbed, but he says he's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Typical man. Yeah. And then my other note was just about what I talked about earlier, about how I personally didn't think it landed as well, since they cut out the fact that he was a fuckboy at the beginning. Right. But you says it. You say it does, so I'm good with it. Okay, cool. I like it. <laughs> and then I think we're back with Nina and Matthias. Yeah, yeah, no, we are. My note's really short here. Um, right. I can feel just how much you hate sleeping next to me. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> I wrote down, I didn't write down the whole line, so, and I didn't write down who says it because I'm really nice to myself when I take notes. But the, it's not natural to be as stupid as you are tall that is like a very well-known line from the book and she delivered it perfectly and I loved it. I loved every, I, as much as I criticize the show for not hiring a plus size actress, she's so perfect, isn't Nina? I love it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it is great. I was actually looking at that and, and like looking at her delivery of that line Yeah. because I was like, I wonder how that line was actually written down and like how she got from just those words on the page to how she delivered it because the delivery is perfect. Yes. Um, and it, it ends up with, he finally, like, he genuinely smiles and genuinely laughs, which is the first time we've seen it. And it's, it's, it's good. I don't know if I find laughing awkward, but, or if they did something weird here, but I liked his laughing at, at first, but then I felt it went on too long and I was like, I can't watch this. (laughs) This is too much for me. Yeah. Well, it did go on a little too long, um, because this is the scene I didn't, take long notes I mean really I wrote down the line and said he finally laughs but I think this is also the scene where she says um where he's going on and on about how she's lewd and loud and feared and women are caretakers and they're taken care of by the men who protect them and they don't want to fight and and she's like I can't wait to see you get trounced by a girl right. and that's what makes him laugh mm-hmm and then they do, they linger on the laughter for a while. But I like the way they do it because they cut from him, like, just being utterly tickled at this idea to her responding to him laughing. Mm-hmm. And I liked that. Okay. So later on in the books, we do get, like, scenes from within Fierda, and we get to know some Fierden women. And I just find... It's so interesting having that knowledge and hearing Matthias talk about fear in society. Mm. It's very, it's interesting. I imagine that his his reality is not exactly lined up with reality is what I'm going to guess. 
Uh, I would say women have always known how to make men think what they want. That is a fair point. Yeah. Or how to hide themselves within what men think, you know? Yeah. Out of necessity. And then we're back in Rivost. Rivost. Anyway, I say that sounds wrong. (laughs) And the Darkling pulls up very discreetly with his giant carriage and his six black horses. Right. Um, and David gets told to stay in the car. <laughs> stay in the car. Yes. <laughs> stay in the car. I love it. Oh, yeah. So good. Um, so. Yeah. And then we cut to Jesper, you know, going into the bar to Kaz and Inej saying that the alarm trigger set, um, whatever that means in that moment, because the black general will be there soon. Mm hmm. But we know he's already there, and then the carriage blows up. And as predicted, <laughs> Jesper was forced to do some demo. <laughs> oh, oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> That's fantastic. He said they should have oh. brought a demo man. Right? Yeah, I completely forgot about that. And then we just get a bunch of different fights. Um, you know, the three kind of split up. The The sister of the man that Inej killed is there. She recognizes the knife that Inej has in her belt, and so she, like, flings fire at her and runs after her. This is, okay, her, her, well, her character name is Polina, and I mm-hmm. despise her. I don't even know what it is. Like, like, even before she sets that dude on fire with negligence, there's just something about her whole being that makes me hate her. I, I don't know if it's, like... I feel terrible saying this, but I don't know if it's the actress or the writing or something. But anytime she's on screen, I'm just like, I hate you. Yeah. Yeah, I feel that way, too. And I think Inej ended up feeling that way, too. <laughs> yes. And then her setting that dude on fire is just such a good way of showing, again, how much Ravka is divided. Like, not just through the fold. But yeah. not one of those Grisha cared about that person. Not one. Yeah. Nope. Um, and then we get Ivan and Jesper. Jesper Sorry. versus Ivan, Yes. I love it so much. Sorry. Yeah, Ivan. The whole the whole Ivan and Jesper scene is is fantastic. Yes. Um, and, and we we cut back and forth between Ivan and Jesper and Inej and Polina and then Ivan and Jesper. Jesper's brilliant here because he shoots Ivan in the same spot mm-hmm. three times. Now after the like the first time Ivan's like, don't you know that our captives are bulletproof? And then after the second time, he's like, oh, you shot me in the same spot again. That's clever, but not effective. Jesper does it a third time, and it knocks him on his ass. Yeah. And I'm just like, boom, stop talking about my Jesper. And then Jesper's that great line where he's like, I should have shot you in the head. And I love that they address that, even though it's like, it's obvious that they just don't want Ivan dead yet. Yeah. But by addressing it, it seems less stupid that he didn't just shoot him in the head. I don't know. There's just good writing. Like, I bought it. Well, I also... I prefer Jesper as someone who doesn't just, like, shoot a dude in the head. That's true. I, I genuinely believe, personality-wise, Jesper would be like, all right, let's, like, he, he, he'll he take the trick shot over the easy shot. Yeah. And, and I mean, all three of them were trick shots because yeah. he didn't shoot Ivan directly. They were all ricochets. Yeah. Um, it's, it's just, it's good. It's good. Quick scene where Zoya thought she had Kaz, but she didn't because Kaz is just that good. I'm fairly certain he either, like, chucked his hat or he put his hat on somebody else. So that was... Right. He was smart. Yeah. Um, Inej stabs Polina, and she was going to let her live. You know, she gives her this whole spiel about how you can live if you don't pull that out until you're close to a healer, but Polina can't keep her mouth shut. So Inej just says, fine, I'll take my knife back, and oh, so good. Polina dies. My note here is just Inej is fabulous. Yeah, it was... It was a nice moment for Inej. Like, I feel bad because... This time she's actively choosing to kill. I don't feel bad. Fuck that. And bitch. last time she was she was reacting to save her friend, mm-hmm. and she's actively choosing to kill here out of anger, malice. Well, um, she's also protecting herself because she doesn't want this lady. Also her true. Down. Also true. And then we get the scene where Kaz, Kaz and Kerrigan, Kaz, dirty hands versus the bastard. Oh shit! I, <laughs> Darkling versus the bastard. I. <laughs> I screamed. I grinned. I was so excited. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> when they started walking towards each other the first time I watched this episode, I was like, this is all I ever wanted. Oh. <laughs> yeah, because this could have never happened in the book, right? Yes. So this is all new, and it's it's so good. And I love I love that, 
that Kaz is just completely honest with him. Like, we didn't take her, and, and she fled on her own. Yeah. And he says it was pretty clear she wasn't interested in being a captive anymore, repeating Alina's words. And Kerrigan is just straight up furious yeah. at this point. But Kaz is one step ahead of him. It's it's beautiful. It's brilliant. You know, Kerrigan's getting ready to kill Kaz on the spot. He summons the cut here. But Kaz has some sort of, I wrote explosive light, maybe phosphorus or something. I don't know. And he gets away. Yeah. Because Kaz is just that awesome. Something important to know is that pre the show coming out, I, when it when like book fans finally started to understand that like a confrontation between the two would be possible we didn't know what was going to happen everybody assumed kaz would win like which doesn't make any sense (laughs) like and i think we all know that it doesn't make any sense kerrigan is genuinely more powerful right but everyone was just like no kaz would beat him up with his cane Beat him up with his cane (laughs) yeah i don't see that as being a possibility but i do love that that Kaz was more clever. Yes. Like, no. Like, Kerrigan's not clever. He's, like, brute force. Although, yeah, as I spoke earlier, he does have some brilliant insight to the world. But he's a different type of – he's manipulative, but he's not necessarily takes in every single thing in the situation around him and can find a way the way that Kaz does. He is – okay, so both Kaz and Kerrigan are arrogant, but in different ways. Kaz mm-hmm. is arrogant about his ability – and Kerrigan is arrogant about his reputation and his belief that he can't fail just because he's so great and mighty, right? It's it's yeah. it's different. I feel like Kaz is that type of arrogant that's very millennial. Stick with me on this, where okay. you think that you're better than everyone else while simultaneously knowing that you're trash. Okay. And and the Darkling is very like boomer arrogant. He genuinely believes that he deserves everything and is better than everyone else. That is an interesting analogy. Yeah. I, I Yeah. Yeah. I see it. Definitely both arrogant, but in different ways. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Anyways, I was really excited. And I know Erica Hesser, the showrunner, has said that the flash bomb that Kes has basically has two possible origins. Uh, one being that he got it from the, the play acting troupe that they were traveling with, because we did see them use some pyrotechnics. Yeah, yeah. And the other being that maybe he was talking to a demo man before they left, which really, of course, just makes uh, book readers really excited. <laughs> okay. I'll take your word for it. The sixth crow is their demo expert. So anytime that that oh. comes up, everybody's just like, oh. Okay. Easter so egg. in this world, at this point in their world, the sixth man doesn't exist yet as part of their group. Yeah. He's, well, they don't, they don't have a demo They have man. not yet met him. Okay. All right. Interesting. Yeah. Okay, then we cut back to Mal and Alina again. Um, quick scene, you know, she's trying to help him with his wounds. He tells her what happened. Um, but Alina realizes what would actually happen if Kerrigan does find the stag. Mm-hmm. And so she convinces Mal that they can't go through the fold. They have to go north to find the stag first. Because uh, Alina wants that stag for herself. Also, I love her little depths of goop. Right? <laughs> Gonna save your life with this goop. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Back to Nina and Matthias. I I really like this scene. Um, I wrote in all caps, oh my God, she is tiny next to him. Because in some of these scenes, she looks like she's two feet tall and he looks like he's 10 feet tall. It's so weird. That is very accurate to Nina and Matthias. Okay. <laughs> um, and he gets the great line, Druskella, do not get lost. <laughs> That's and then a, that's so Matthias. That's he he finally admits the words. He says the words out loud, I do like you. Aww. And I love her reaction to it, right? Because she doesn't make it into this big momentous thing. Like she plays with him. Yeah. Like it's it's wonderful and it makes me laugh and I just love the way that they play with each other. Although it leads right up to this horrible, horrible moment where she falls through the ice. And I swear to God, every time I've seen this now for a moment, I actually think he's going to let her fall. The scene with them looking at each other like, uh, like, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? It's really good. Right. Because you can, she is genuinely scared that he's going to drop her. And he is actually contemplating it. Yeah. Like, you can see it on his face. But he does save her. Um, 
And then when she's up and, and standing upright, he actually introduces himself to her and we get his full name, mm-hmm. which is Matthias Helvar, which is the witch hunter that we learned about earlier. Yes. So I think that moment is supposed to be this big reveal. Um, but we all know his name because closed captioning told us. <laughs> so uh, It's interesting to hear you talk about these things. That would just never occur to me because I was like, yes, of course he's a true scout. Like, why? like, it just didn't even occur to me to be like, that's what they were trying to do there. Have that be yeah. the reveal. Yeah. It, I, just the way they set it up. You know, you just you have so much more information than I do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's really easy for you to just fill in the blanks from the show without realizing that's what you're doing because it just yeah, is exactly. for you. Um, and then she doesn't have any of her first because she lost them all when she fell. And so he gives her one of his to keep her warm. And it's very sweet. It is very sweet. Yes. And then we're back to the crows regrouping, re. Uh, meeting up at their meetup place, which also happens to be beside the carriage, which is hilarious. But anyways, I love this scene where, because Inej is hurt. She got hurt when she was fighting Polina. And just everything about this scene is perfect. Kaz's face, everything is good. He threw a book at me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and when they decided to the carriage, so good. And obviously, the book is Shadow and Bone. Uh, what was it? <laughs> oh, did you? This is all over social media. Yes, so the the cover of it looks very similar to the original cover, the original hardcover of oh, Shadow and Bone. Okay. And then so they've shown on online that they did make it. It's the Ravkin like um, alphabet that they created for the show, and they printed Shadow and Bone in that uh, language. Oh, that's beautiful. Alphabet. And they let Lee Bardugo keep it. That's beautiful. Love yeah. it. I love it. Um, and then we get the next scene, which is. I swear to God, even better. Because in this scene, you know, Kerrigan has just discovered that they stole his chariot. That's so and good. David. Can't, you can't watch. I just, I love the, the crows stealing the Darkling's carriage. I, it's wonderful. Dude, it's baller. It's amazing. I love them. Everything is so good. They're perfect. Sorry, yeah. carry on. I love David in this scene because he like, he's, he's like, physically like turning into himself here but he's like raising his little finger because he wants to speak but he can't just speak and Kerrigan's like no you don't have to just what yes I okay so this David is in no way the book David but I still love this David he's so Mm -hmm. good so I don't even care that they messed him up because he's so good um, and I think it's interesting because, and, and I haven't said this yet, but in this, particularly in this episode, the ring that Jenya gave her is, it's fucking Chekhov's ring. Every <laughs> yeah. scene that Alina is in, we get a shot of her hand that has that ring on it. And mm-hmm. it's never mentioned, it's never pointed out or addressed, we just see it. And I didn't notice it until after the first time I had seen this episode and I realized what it was. Mm-hmm. You know, so when I went back and rewatched it, I saw it every time. And so here is where we find out that that ring that Jenya gave her, he can track it because it's not native to Ravka. So it's something that he can. I think it's interesting that Alina still has the ring on because she changed out of everything. She even took her hair down. Yeah. She kept the jewelry. That doesn't make any sense other than the fact that we need it for the plot. It could just be like sometimes, well... I would say this with a ring that you've worn for a while. You just don't even notice that you're wearing it. Right. But she just put that yeah, ring on yeah. but the day that, before. Yeah. No, it's true. I don't know. I do like the idea that Jenny and David work together on that. Mm, yeah. Because it seems very, it almost seems like very them from like later on in the series where they they do work together in that type of thing a lot. But um, it sucks that it's against Alina. But yeah, so was it I was a little unclear about this. Like is it just happenstance that he can track her by this ring or no. did they specifically give this ring to her so that she could be tracked? Okay, so A, happened? this ring isn't in the book. So I mean, make your own conclusions, but okay. personally I would absolutely say no. <laughs> I would absolutely say that like they came up with that. Okay. Okay. Then we have one last scene with Mel and Alina. They mm-hmm. are tracking the stag. And based on some of the things that Mal is saying to her, because this whole scene kind of revolves around the fact that she's eating and she has a healthy appetite now and she looks healthy. 
And like for a moment, it's like, why does everything have to be about her appearance? Like, this is stupid. I don't like Mal talking about this. Mm-hmm. But when he asks her the question, is this what being a sun summoner is doing to you? The light bulb comes on for Alina and she realizes that this is how Kerrigan has lived for so long. Yes. And then because- she recognizes I am really the only threat to him. He is going to hunt me. Mm-hmm. But she doesn't She doesn't tell Mal the truth yet. Like, she hasn't told him that Kerrigan is the black heretic, that oh. he wants to basically weaponize the fold and make the world a better place for Grisha. And, you know, she hasn't told him any of that yet. Like, he knows that there's something bad about Kerrigan. Interesting. But at least on screen, she hasn't told him. Hmm. I, that just didn't even occur to me. I just I find it interesting because I think it's just another example of them showing that Mal will do anything for her. Like, he's protecting yeah. her, and he chooses to go after the stag with her, largely because she says, it will help me tear down the fold. And... And he asks her specifically, is that why Kerrigan wants it? And she says, no, he must want it for something else. Like, she doesn't tell him mm-hmm. that Kerrigan's bad. She just says, well, we need to get to this dag first. So. Yeah, no, that that's, I, I didn't realize that he didn't know. But also, I mean, he was attacked at the Little Palace. A whole bunch of shit happened to him, so. I'm sure he's on board. Yeah, for... so I mean, he just thinks all Grisha, yeah, all Grisha are bad to him right now. Yeah, well, except for one. <laughs> yeah. I do love that they had him say that he's now bodyguard to a saint. Um, mm. I like that. I like that line, and I like that that, that kind of sets up his journey going forward. Okay. Yeah. And then we're back with the Darkling interviewing that soldier dude, and this is when he puts it together that Mal is Malin. Alina have reunited. My note here just says the Darkling is on the case. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, so he figures out that because they went north and that he is with Alina and Mallor together, that she must be going after the stag. Um, dun, dun, dun. Uh, yeah, and then fade to black. So it's a, a lot happened in this episode. I, I, so I don't know how to ask this without leading you to it, but... There wasn't anything in this episode that you were like, oh, that's weird. I wonder what that means. I don't think so. Hmm. I didn't have any notes about it. Interesting. So you're going to have to remember what it is. And oh, then... no, I know exactly what it is. I am I mean, for later, when oh. we get to the point where it's okay for you to ask me about it, oh. <laughs> you can be like, can you remember in this episode when this happened? No, it, it's not going to happen. I mean. Oh. <clears throat> no. Okay. It's As somebody who has read the books, I was like, oh. Okay, interesting. But I I thought it would stand out because it doesn't really make any sense otherwise. Well, now I want to know what it is because then I want to figure out how my brain, like, I can, it away. I can point you to it, but in pointing you to it, I'm probably going to end up – I mean, indirectly they answer it in the next episode, but again, indirectly you could blink and you miss oh. it. Okay. Uh, do oh, you want me what? to – I can give you the line. <laughs> Okay, so it's, line. it's in the episode. It's not a spoiler. Okay. Uh, at the end of Jesper versus Ivan, uh, just before he says, what are you? And Jesper says, a big softie, apparently. And mm-hmm. then Ivan says, you're a, and then he knocks him out. Oh, no. I I don't even think I noticed that. Mm. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, I just, I missed it, apparently. It, but that it, leads me to, well, and, you know, you, you were already pointing out that perhaps Jesper has some supernatural shooting abilities so no no wait that was mal and his supernatural tracking abilities see there's too many things going on with these people i just don't know (laughs) well we're almost done three more episodes that's crazy (laughs) that is crazy goodness no wait two more episodes yeah and then we'll have it's three for us because we'll do a wrap-up i'm sure oh a wrap-up yes sorry i meant there's only two two more episodes of the show yeah that's it only two yeah, because there's this only so much eight episodes, right? Happen. Yeah, there's only eight episodes, and this is episode six. So we've got two more episodes to finish this thing out. All right, episode MVP. I'm curious what your nomination is for this. The book, Shadow and Bone and Rovkin, keep, you, when you're left in the car by your parents, you need something to keep you entertained. 
I was also, I well, I didn't know what the book was, but I was going to go with the book. I mean, he threw a book <laughs> at me. Like, his first reaction, like, like, not, like his instinct was, somebody open the door. I'm going to throw the book and go out the other side. <laughs> also, it shows how useful and wonderful books are. You know, exactly. they keep you entertained when your dad leaves you in the car. <laughs> and they're a weapon when a strange man attacks you. In, I mean... In- yeah. Books are absolutely a weapon. There's a great Doctor Who quote. You want a weapon? Look around you. We're in a library. Right, right, right. I'd forgotten about that. Yes. Love it. 100%. The book is the, the book. episode MVP. So you can tweet us at EnterTheFoldPod. Email us at EnterTheFoldPod at gmail.com. I'm Caitlin, and you can follow me and find my other shows on Twitter at InferiorCaitlin. I'm Mandy Kay, and you can find this show and all of the other Eloquent Gushing shows at eloquentgushing.com. We are also on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Eloquent Gushing. I, however, would love it if you would follow me over on Twitter at Mandy Kay and make me feel not so alone about knowing all of the things that book readers instinctually know when watching this show. I love that you point these things out to me that I don't pick up on. I mean, I like it too, but I feel a little bit alone. And and I'm avoiding so many things on social media. Like sometimes I see an article headline and I'm like, I really want to read that. And I send it to you first. Like, is it okay if I read this? Because I'm just trying to avoid spoilers. So I like I avoid shadow and bone TikToks like completely. So I feel a little bit alone because everybody else in the world has read this book. not everyone if you are enjoying this show and also have not read the books please hit me up on twitter that's all i'm saying (laughs) and remember that type needs plenty of time for brooding and self-recrimination otherwise they get cranky dude i can't wait to find out context for all of these things (laughs) that are in books that aren't that are from a character that isn't even in the show yep